Revelation chapter 3 in your Bibles, if you would. <clears throat> Revelation chapter number 3. We're just going to go over these first six verses uh, for tonight, and then we'll get into um, the next section here, the Philadelphia church period, the next time. So uh, three weeks, including tonight, we'll be done with these churches, and then we'll start probably moving a little bit quicker as we go through. Um, but uh, this is pretty pretty important stuff to grab a hold of and to try to try to get you to understand. I don't think I have to spend too much time on it here, but um, just remember there's three applications of Scripture. There's historical, practical, and doctrinal, right? And uh, historically speaking, um, John's writing to seven churches that existed. Doctrinally speaking, these seven churches are going to exist in the future in the tribulation period. That's why the doctrine doesn't line up with our doctrine, which we'll look at again tonight. We'll see, so show you some passages in here that can't be to the church in the church age. You do have to understand that a church is a called-out assembly. It's a gathering. It's a group, right? Uh, the Bible talks in Corinthians about the church in the wilderness. They were called out of Egypt, and they were assembled together, right? So it, when you say the church, you kind of you know don't automatically jump to the conclusion that we're talking about the church age with the gospel of the grace of God, with Paul's apostle to the Gentile, our doctrine. So there's churches in Revelation, but doctrinally speaking, they're in a little bit of a different time frame than the body of Christ, which is you and I, the church of Jesus Christ that exists right now. And so don't forget that piece. The Bible says in Revelation 3, 1, And unto the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful, and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy." He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You can see why people believe you can lose your salvation, don't you? I'll not blot his name out of the book of life. When they're not taught what rightly dividing the word of truth is, they, they get all so confused. It's, a, it's just an absolute mess. I want to say this so that it doesn't come across arrogant. I'm extremely grateful to God that God allowed me to have some preachers and teachers that believe the Bible, didn't change it, didn't correct it, didn't confuse it, but believed it, and then showed me how to rightly divide my Bible. Because once you rightly divide the Bible and you begin to understand the doctrine, you begin to understand the doctrine, you begin to understand the doctrine, then everything begins to make sense. And the beauty and power of that Bible in your lap is like mind-boggling. The more you study it, the way God says to study it, the more you're going to believe it. Let's pray real quick and then I want to show you something. Father, we love you and I pray that you'd please uh, help us tonight. Help us to get out of this, uh, this evening service what it is we need. Thank you for giving us such a great morning service. Thank you for the attendance. Thank you for our visitors. Thank you for the liberty to preach, Lord. And I just pray now that you'd be with us as we go through these things tonight. Uh, that they would uh, make sense, that the teaching would be sound, and that, God, you would um, give those that are listening uh, understanding of what's being taught. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God, throughout this thing, especially if you look back at chapter 2, verse 14, how he's, he's, he's mad at them. He's got some things against them because they hold the doctrine of Balaam. He's mad at them in, in verse number 20 in chapter 2 because they got a woman, Jezebel, calling herself a prophet and teaching them, Right? So all the way through here, when God has an issue with the church, he has an issue with them about their doctrine. Now, now don't forget that. Go back with me, if you would, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm saying all this for a reason. Uh, I'll tie it together here in a second. But doctrine is number one when it comes to your Bible. You have to understand that. It, it, doctrine's first. 2 Timothy chapter 3, let me show you. Not just making this up. This isn't just my perspective and just, you know, me getting all hung up on a, on a rabbit trail. This is, this is God. This is how God sees it. When you look at what church am I going to be in, what do I believe, the number one thing you assess when you consider a church is you assess the doctrine. If you're going to listen to a preacher, hear me, hear me clearly, please. If you're going to listen to a preacher on the Internet, 
If you're going to follow somebody online because you want extra preaching and you want to be right with the Lord and you want to grow and you want to learn, if you're going to listen to guys on the radio because you really like them and it's, you get help, you need to research what his doctrine is. If his doctrine is off, don't listen to him. You understand that? I don't care how he makes you feel. I don't care how much help you get when you listen to him. If they're doctrinally off, you should not be listening to them. And I'm saying that very emphatically, and even more emphatically than maybe I would have had to 50 or 100 years ago. 50 or 100 years ago, you know, the argument would be, you know, you look at the old Wesley, you know, I mean, the old Methodists, the old-timey Methodists. And they had some things about their doctrine that I wouldn't agree with, but uh, to be honest with you, most of the old-timey Methodist preachers, you'd rather go listen to them preach than most of the Baptists. Them guys appeal to paint, man. I mean, they're great preachers. And so you, you look at that and you, you can see some of those things throughout history and you can see that, look, I mean, there's Martin Luther. He came out of the Catholic Church. He was the great reformer we'll talk about in a little bit here tonight. But, but he, he still had some doctrine that was off, right? Uh, he didn't come all the way out of the Catholic Church. He, had hung, he came all the way out of the Catholic Church. They hated him and wanted him dead. But he still hung on to some things he shouldn't have hung on to. And really the defense of Martin Luther, which I'll defend him all day long, he wrote that hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, A Bulwark Never Failing. Man, what a, what a hymn. He is literally one of my heroes. I, Martin Luther is phenomenal. But his doctrine, but at that time, he was responding to the truth he had and coming out of darkness toward truth. Does that make sense? The day and age that you live in, they're coming out of light and out of truth and they're going back into darkness. There is a different spirit controlling the men now that are preaching when they don't have the right doctrine than there was back then. You're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, right? Let's see what God thinks of the Bible. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Notice the present tense, is given. Here's something that for some reason everybody seems to miss. What they'll say is, well, this is talking about the originals. Because it's only the originals that are inspired, right? Timothy did not have a copy of the originals in his hand. You're telling me Timothy was standing there holding on to the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses. That's the original. You're telling me that the stuff that Moses penned down thousands of years, hundreds of years beforehand, that Timothy's standing there holding the originals. He didn't have the originals. And he's saying all Scripture is given by inspiration to God. God was telling them, you have inspired Scripture preserved in your language at your time. It's given by inspiration of God. And he promised he would keep it from this generation forever. So you got it too if you got a King James Bible. And it's profitable, all right? Number one, for doctrine. The first application of Scripture is doctrine. Number one, before anything else. I want to profit from my Bible, don't you? After, after doctrine, now watch this. I'm going to show you how backwards everything is nowadays. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction. You are just given, number one, doctrine. It, it tells you what you're supposed to believe. How rough is that? that? Jesus spoke as one that had authority and not as the scribes and Pharisees. That's why the religious people and the masses, the vast majority of people hated him, but he made a difference with his life because he stood for truth. The scripture tells you what you're to believe. You don't believe what you want to believe. You don't go by how you feel. You get in that book and you find out what the book says and then you follow the Bible, period, the end of the discussion. God's right, yea, let God be true and every man a liar. So for doctrine, number two, for reproof. Seriously? That's negative. So you mean the first thing that I deal with when I begin to deal with my Bible is I have to deal with my sin, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of salvation. Well, how do we get there? I cannot get you saved if they can't get you lost first. When somebody thinks they're already going to heaven or they think they're going to be okay or they think their works are there or they think, well, I feel and I think and I'm pretty sure, you can't lead them to Christ. They will not get saved until they recognize I'm a sinner. They have to deal with the negative first. 
The first thing you run into when you run into your Bible, especially as you're teaching doctrine, is it's automatically going to rub you the wrong way because you're a sinner, you're sold under sin, you live in a sinful body, you have a will, and God's will runs contrary to sin. See how negative it is? I mean, it comes right across at the outset. It's like, yeah, no. (laughs) And then it says, for correction. Don't correct me. Well, I'll correct you after I reprove you. (laughs) Hey, what are you doing, boy? Stop that and do this. The first thing you did is you corrected them. You you approved them, then you correct them. Correction is going from the wrong path onto the right path, right? So we got to correct the course. That's what your Bible is for. And last of all, for instruction in righteousness. I can't affirm your faith and instruct you in righteousness if you're living like hell. I can't help you serve the Lord and do great deeds for Jesus and and take your next steps with God if you're not walking with God. So the first thing when you come to the Bible, God, number one, says it's doctrine. Then reproof, then correction, then instruction in righteousness. When God had a beef with these churches, he had a beef with the doctrine they were putting up with in the church. It's the teaching. Doctrine is number one. Now, here's why I'm saying all this. Tony, Tony Palmore, I think his name is, he, he hooked up with Kenneth Copeland. He was this, uh, he's this big um, um, charismatic guy that got all connected with the Pope. He was big time tight with the Catholic Church. He said this. He said, it's the glory of Christ that unites us, not the doctrine. The glory of an experience with Christ unites us. If you accept that he is in me and I accept that he is in you, that's all we need. I'm here in the spirit of Elijah and am come to unite us before his coming. Then he says... Catholic simply means universal. And for a thousand years, all that was here was the Catholic Church. Until that ludicrous, insane man, Martin Luther, and some of those other ludicrous people began dividing the body and splitting it up. Well, no wonder the popes loved him. No wonder he was so much in bed with the Roman Catholic Church. No wonder they promoted him. And no wonder Kenneth Copeland likes him because he's all about uniting and bringing everybody together. And the only way to do that is to say our doctrine doesn't matter. It's our experience with Christ. It's the glory of Christ that matters. And if I've had a genuine Christ experience, you have to just accept that he's in me and I have to just accept that he's in you. And when I just accept that he's in you and you just accept that he's in me and we all run by the touchy-feely love of an experience with Christ, forget the doctrine. Well, that's exactly what God was saying. I'm sick of these churches for doing. And folks, that is exactly what is happening all over this nation right now among the evangelical and the, and the contemporary church movement. It is a big mess where we won't stand for any doctrine. We won't preach. We won't call the baby ugly. We're not going to tell you the truth because none of that matters. It's just about affirming your faith in Christ. Let me tell you where that's going to go. That's going to bring them all right back to the Roman Catholic Church. You understand that, right? When we start blurring the doctrinal lines and we won't preach doctrine and we won't lay out doctrine, we won't take a stand on doctrine, and it's just all about this experience with Christ, then nothing really matters anymore. Even the Roman Catholic Church has begun to compromise all the doctrine it stands for because there is a spirit of antichrist working in this world. Now, what I'm teaching right now is going to play out throughout Revelation, okay? So I'm not wasting my breath and I'm not running a rabbit trail. The spirit of Antichrist is already in this world and it's going to increase and get stronger and stronger and stronger as we get closer to the tribulation period. And all these these Protestants that came out of the Roman Catholic Church, some of which we'll look at tonight, they came out of the church and God did an amazing work in the Great Awakenings. God did an amazing work in the Sardis Church period leading up to the Philadelphia church period where the work really kicked off. God did some amazing things, but what they're going to do is they're going to go back into darkness. You understand that? And in order for the devil, in order for the Antichrist to prepare the, quote, body of Christ, okay, what he's got to do is he's got to start 
pitching them a bill of goods. And the bill of goods is doctrine doesn't matter. You shouldn't be hollering when you preach. You shouldn't be pounding on the pulpit. You shouldn't be telling people that sodomy is wrong. You shouldn't be telling them that LGBTQ is wrong. You shouldn't be telling them that trans is wrong. You shouldn't be calling these things sin. You shouldn't be so divisive about doctrine and making doctrine such an issue. And some people think that tribulation is going to happen before the rapture and some people think it's going to happen after the rapture and some people believe we're going into the millennium and some people believe at the end of the millennium. Some people are amillennial like the Catholic Church, but none of that really matters. What matters is, is Christ in you. He's in me. If you had an experience, the glory of Christ is all that matters. And what they're doing is they're meshing it all together. It is the perfect setup for the Antichrist to show up and claim that he's Christ. And I'll tell you what he'll do. He'll make them feel so good, man. They are going to have an experience with Christ. The glory of Christ will be seen. Oh, man, like nobody's ever seen it before. It's an absolute mess. Now, back to Revelation chapter 3. It says, under the angel of the church of Sardis. You know what Sardis means? It means red ones. You know why? Because the blood of the martyrs was being shed during the Sardis period, which ran from 1,000 to 1,500 A.D., ran for 500 years, the blood of the martyrs was being shed like crazy. And again, I refer you to Fox's Book of Martyrs and some of them other books that you can look up that'll talk about this church period and show you what the Roman Catholic Church was doing to anybody that would not bow to the Roman Catholic whore. It means red ones. During this period of time, there's also um, the, let's see, so as far as up in the middle of the Dark Ages and you got the Crusades, you got the invasions of Saladin, and you got Genghis Khan going on. You got a bloody time period, man. An evilly dark period in the world. Now watch this. Uh, on the angel of the church of Sardis, write these things, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That's a weird saying, isn't it? You see the capital S there, the seven spirits of God? Ain't that strange? These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. So there's, there's, there's an individual, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's got the seven spirit of, spirits of God in him. So what's that? Go to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter number 11. You know what I should have looked to? I just, I just thought of it. I wish I'd have looked. Uh, I should have looked before we got here. I wonder if the new Bibles help us out in that verse. I'll bet you they help us out. We'll have to circle back on that one. I highly, I highly doubt, I highly doubt they got the sense to leave that verse alone. The seven spirits of God. Uh, that would be interesting anyways. Isaiah chapter 11. <clears throat> Look at verse 1. And there shall come forth a, ro- a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Number one. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, Right? The spirit of wisdom, two, understanding, three, counsel, four, might, five, knowledge, six, fear of the Lord, seven. You know what the seven spirits of God are? Explained right there. You know who had those? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, it's that simple. He had the spirit of wisdom. He had the spirit of understanding. Knowledge, it was just listed for you. The fear of the Lord, that's the spirit that's in Jesus Christ. He had the Spirit of God on him. Back to Revelation chapter 3. So it's self-explanatory. You say, I don't get it. Okay, just to believe it then. That's how it works. Have the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now notice, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. And boy, that's the thing right there. You can have a name. You can have a name like the Roman Catholic Church. That's a big name, man. That's a powerful name. That's a wealthy name. You can have a name like any of these other churches around here that are worth millions and millions of dollars. I mean millions and millions of dollars. <clears throat> Bringing in 200K a week. I, I, know, I know inside stories, man. I mean, boy, they got a name, man. And God says, I know you got a name and you are dead. 
Thou is the name that thou livest and art dead. I wonder if any of you are sitting here tonight. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I go to Bible believers. Yeah, we, we believe in old-fashioned preaching. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, but where are you at with the Lord? You got a name that you live, but spiritually you're actually dead inside? I'm not saying, I'm not saying dead in trespasses and sin. I'm saying dead. Go to the book of, uh, I want you to see a couple verses. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me show you an example of what this is. I'll show you another verse that can show you that as a church, as a born-again Christian, a church can be dead spiritually. Not, not in trespasses and sins. He's talking about his relationship with you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 5. He says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. You know what churches have all over the place? And the church that Sardis had? They got a form of godliness. Now listen, here's the weird thing about that form of godliness. That, thing, that thing's a shapeshifter. You understand what I mean? It's a shapeshifter, so it depends on what church you're in. I've been in some churches that are so straight-laced, King James Bible, rightly dividing, but it's all about the outside. It is all about what you wear, how you look, where you go, whether or not your standards are adequate. You know what a lot of those guys are like? A lot of those guys that are obsessed with standards all the time, they're church splitters. Yeah, because they're so spiritual, they think they're the standard, they think they're the rule all the time, and they obsess all the time with the outside. They got a form of godliness, but inside they don't have the power of it. They're not walking with God in their personal relationship with the Lord. Just because you put a tux on a pig don't mean it stops being a pig. It's still a pig. You understand that? And pigs wallow in mud. That's what they like. And they eat anything that drops, even other pigs. Right, Rob? His grandpa had how many of them out there on the farm? Lots. I'll never forget a little boy. I come over. I'm looking over the edge of that thing. They're like, be careful. Back up. Like, be, don't fall in there. I'm like, really? I mean, big old hogs, man. And one was laying there that had died, and the other ones were ripping its guts out. They're eating it. Why? Because they're pigs. That's what they do. You put a tux on one of those things, and you wash him up and everything else, guess what he still is? Your form don't mean nothing. How about the power? You know, you got a lot of these churches, they're big and they look like they're successful and their parking lots are full and they're packed out, packing out those amphitheaters. They got a form of godliness, but they ain't no power there. You know how I know it? You know how I know it for a fact? They won't preach. You want the power of God? It's in the Word of God. The power of God isn't in a program. It isn't in the name of a church. It isn't in the facilities. It isn't in any of that stuff. It isn't in the giftedness of the ele- or the eloquence of the speaker. The power of God is in the word of God. You have to preach that book. You want to see, you want to know God's doing it, then give them Bible. Don't, don't, don't be ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up for truth. And if you give them Bible and you stand up for truth and you're not ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ and something's still happening and you're seeing some form that is resulting from it, you know it's got the power of God on it. But they got a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. I would, rather just, I would rather just preach my guts out and see no fruits, but know that I did right, than to have this big form, big show, and be paranoid all the time about people leaving and having to tip, th- tiptoe through the tulips every Sunday and make sure I make this guy happy and that guy happy. And what was wrong with so-and-so? And where were they? And I guess that offended them. We better give them a position because they're getting mad. We better make sure that we forget that junk, man. I can't live like that. I want the power of God on my life, not a form of godliness. I want the power. Ephesians chapter 5, please. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 14. Here's the Lord talking to the church, right? Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then you, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. You know what he's saying? I mean, back up in the context. He talks about proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. <laughs> he, don't fellowship with them. Actually, tell them they're wrong. Well, you live in a generation that will not do that. Absolutely will not do it. 
Why? Because it'll split their church. I was talking to somebody recently, and he was talking about the church that he's in, and, and he was asking me about our church. And I said, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll give you a good example. I said, if, if, if you can talk them into letting me come for a month every Sunday and preach at your church, you see how many people are left. At the end of a month, see how many people are left in your church. And I'll show you the difference between sheep and goats. And there's probably a few sheep in there. How many thousands you got? That many thousands, you probably got somewhere between 30 and maybe 200, if I'm shocked, sheep that don't know any better that want to be fed. He said, reprove them. And people won't put up with that. Not rebellious Americans won't put up with that today. Everything goes. You are your own God. You rewrite science. You rewrite science. You rewrite scientific facts based on your personal feelings. It's a spirit of antichrist is what it is. It's science falsely so-called. And believe it or not, the degradation of that culture has, has crept into the church. Or I should say it's the degradation of church that's allowed that culture to go that far. And you can see the church, the same concepts are going on in the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? Maybe not the exact same doctrinal teachings. We may not have gone quite that far, but the same concept is happening. Blurring all the lines. There's no doctrine. He says, Awake, reprove the unfruitful works of darkness, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done to them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. See how it, see how it gets done? Where's the power? It's the light. It's truth. It's the word of God. Without the Bible, you can't get it done. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore, now you see the context. Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. A dead church. Back to Revelation chapter 3. He said, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Now here's a great verse. This is a real good verse. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things that which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. I like that verse. Number one, you got to watch. If you don't pay attention to what's going on in your life, if you don't pay attention to your kids, if you don't pay attention to your marriage, if you don't pay attention to your walk with the Lord, your Bible reading, your prayer, your thought life, if you aren't honest and taking a good look at it, then you are going to get, you are going to get a, a, a attacked by the devil. You're going to wind up off track. Be watchful. And strengthen the things which remain. Um, that's, what, that's really what we need to do. We need to, we, we need to realize that, you know what, we, we can't change the world. We can't change all the other churches. We can't change all the people around us, but we can strengthen what God's given us. This one I'd preach, man. That are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Verse number three. Now watch this. This is a tribulation reference. Remember how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch... I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. That's a tribulation reference. That is not the rapture. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go over with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. He says, I'm going to come upon you as a thief. Well, he's talking to the church at Sardis. That's to the church. Yeah, in the tribulation. Not the church right now. Matthew, chapter 24. That whole thief in the night thing, right? Now, we, we, don't, we believe in the imminent return of Christ. You got that, right? Okay, so we think that any given moment, Jesus Christ can come back. But we don't believe he's coming for us as a thief in the night. Are you afraid of a thief in the night? You should be, right? That's why you got a gun, right? You'd shoot him, wouldn't you? So a thief in the night ain't your friend. That's something that you should have a little healthy level of fear of. You're not afraid of the rapture. You're looking for it. It's your blessed hope. It's the glorious appearing. He says, I'm going to come as a thief in the night. That ain't, that ain't, he's not him talking to his bride. Like, like, hey, honey, I'm coming to get you for a marriage. We're having a marriage. We're going to have a marriage supper. I'm sure Ethan didn't say, you know, I know the date is whatever it was, but... You never know, I might just break in the house and drag you off. Igor, take woman, ooh, you know. <laughs> that, that's not how a guy treats his bride, right? That's not what God's doing with the church. It is, 
it is what he told them. It is what he tells them in the tribulation period. You better watch out because I'm coming like a thief in the night. Now, in, in Matthew chapter 24, I want you to see uh, where am I at here? Um, verse 42. He says, watch, therefore. I, I wish we had time to go through this whole chapter because it's real good. It's clearly the tribulation period. Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come, but know this. That if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Is God coming to break up your house? No, he's coming to give you a glorified body. Yeah, he's going to judge your works, but he's coming to snatch you out of this mess. And he's going to judge your works. I'll show you a little bit more about that in a second. And he's going to give you a glorified body. He said, this guy comes in and busts up the house. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. It's tribulation. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom, when his, Lord, uh, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour and he is not aware, and watch it, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, when he says, I'm going to come as a thief, the day of the Lord, and he's telling those that are here in the tribulation that are trying to serve him, you better be doing right. Because when I come, if I catch you doing wrong, I'm going to bust your house up and I'm going to throw you in hell. That ain't the rapture. How's that the rapture? Where do you get the rapture out of that? The thief in the night thing is talking about the Lord coming at this, at this, in the second advent. It's not the rapture of the church before the tribulation period. That's at the end of the tribulation period. Um, go with me to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There's a big difference between your doctrine and the doctrine of the, in the tribulation period. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse number... Uh, look at verse 14. For if you, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them, not going to go before them that are, are, that are asleep, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. See, that's the prevent them. That means we're not going before them. They're rising first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we be cut asunder if our works weren't right. Appointed our portion with the... Have our house busted up. No, and so shall we what? Ever be with the Lord. You're not losing your salvation. When the Lord comes for the church, you're not losing your salvation, even if you're backslidden right now. Look at the next verse. Wherefore? Comfort one another with these words. You ever get around these Christians that get all jacked up about the blood moons, the red heifers, the China and Russia and all the rest of all that, you know, it's just never stopping. The news media is always going to keep you jacked up. Recession, depression, COVID, one thing or the other. It's always going to be something. You ever get around Christians that get all wound up? About, what do you think this is? What do you think? Hey, well, uh, you, you, when they call and they're asking, because you know, I'm a pastor or a preacher, you can hear the tension in the voice. And, and, and it's like, Lord, help me help them. Because this, this is not the spirit that we've been taught to have as Christians about the end times. Now, maybe you're just scared and haven't been taught. Maybe you love this world and your money so much that's your real panic. I don't know. But maybe you just haven't been taught. And look, it's a comfort to know our Lord's coming to get us out of here. We're not appointed to wrath. We're not going into the tribulation period. doesn't mean we're not going to have trouble. doesn't mean we won't be here when it gets bad. 
doesn't mean some of us not, might not get martyred. They were getting martyred like crazy during Sardis, the red ones. They were getting butchered and butchered and butchered by the thousands by the Roman Catholic Church. But it wasn't the Great Tribulation when Lucifer's let loose running around this planet. Thank God for that. Look at another passage. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You guys know this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This thief in the night thing is not you. I'm trying to, trying to nail the point home because so many people get all confused about this stuff. Behold, I show you a mystery. Verse 51. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, dead first, then us. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. That's a rapture. That's a blessing, man. O death, where is thy sting? Well, when you're at a funeral... It stings, man. When you lose somebody you love, it hurts. Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Well, when you stand at that grave plot and you do the, 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 the graveside ceremony, it hurts. But guess what? It ain't winning forever. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren... Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do you see the different spirit to the church in the church age? Do you see the, do you see the threats and the danger and the God's coming as a thief in the night and bust you up? You better make sure you're watchful and you're strengthening and you're getting clothed and you're because the threats are everywhere, right? Not when he's talking to his bride. It's not how he's talking to her. There's a different feel for the whole thing. Back over to Revelation chapter 3, and I got a couple more passages to show you, but I think we'll keep these in, uh, in Revelation, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up here fairly soon. Revelation chapter 3. So he tells them in verse 3, I'll come thee as a thief in the night, thou shalt not know what hour I will come. Now watch verse number four. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, that have not defiled their garments. See that? And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All right, so these garments, these aren't the same as your garments. Look at verse 18, Revelation chapter 3, verse 18. I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. That thou anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest be rid, that thou mayest see. So, what's he talking about? These garments. What, what does this mean? Go over to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16 and look at verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. See that? So, you, so by now you should be able to place where this is at, right? You should know where we're at. I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Okay, so these guys better make sure that their garments are right. And, and I'll show you in a second what your garments are. Go to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. And then I'm going to show you something that's a blessing to me anyways. Revelation chapter 6 and look at verse 10. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our, and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So these are the souls under the altar. These are the martyrs in the tribulation period. And white robes, see that in verse number 11, were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So, in the tribulation period, they're getting white robes based on their personal righteousness. It's their works. So, these martyrs are finishing strong. They're, 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 uh, they're uh, continuing to the end, right? 
continue to the end, they're being faithful to the end to be saved. These martyrs are saying, continuing to the end, and God's giving them white robes because of their personal righteousness, they're getting white robes. He's saying, be careful that you don't defile your robes. Make sure you're not walking naked. He's talking to them about their works because it's a faith and works-based salvation in the tribulation period. So if it's faith and works, then that means they get it by faith, but they can lose it by works, just like they did in the Old Testament. Do you know Samson got it, got the Spirit of God, lost it, and got it back? Saul had the Spirit of God, lost it, and never got it back. David got the Spirit of God, was threatened to lose it, but never lost it. That's the Old Testament. God dealt with them individually based on their personal righteousness. That's why it says over there, man, which one is it? Is it Amos? It says the just shall live by his faith. In the Old Testament, by his faith. But in the New Testament, it says the just shall live by faith. It's not your faith anymore. It's his saving faith. It's the faith of Jesus Christ. It's not your works anymore. These people are being warned about their works. Now go over to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Look at verse 7. This is pretty cool. Now we come to the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? The marriage supper of the Lamb takes place after the judgment seat of Christ. So God has us up there and He judges us for our works. You understand that? After salvation. So as a Christian, you can show up at the judgment seat of Christ underprepared. You do realize that. You could get there because, I'll show you in a second, the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. You could get there and your righteousness in this life since you were saved, your works for God fell short and you could walk in there about ready to have this wedding at that judgment embarrassed by the way you're dressed in front of your bridegroom. Shamefully naked in front of the whole world going, well, he's saved, but he sure didn't do anything with his life. Well, she's saved, but she sure didn't walk with God. She had no prayer life. She had no Bible reading life. Every work that you do for Jesus Christ, when you, when, when you do it for Him. You understand, right? I didn't say just coming here tonight. I didn't say just reading your Bible. When you do what you do because you love Jesus Christ, and that's all, because you love Him, you're weaving garments. That's a blessing. I don't want to get to the judgment seat of Christ and have nothing on, so to speak. It's an illustration. The other one talks about in, in 1 Corinthians, it's gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. I heard one preacher say it recently. I thought it was pretty, pretty profound, actually. He said, even if I get there and all it is is wood, hay, and stubble, I want to at least have something to set on fire. I don't want to show up completely empty-handed. <laughs> had a good point. He'd go after it, do your best, Amen. But what the Lord does at that judgment is when He tries your works, He purifies them. What happens when you put gold, uh, gold and silver to fire? Or fire to gold and silver? It purifies it. Ain't God good? Watch what else He does. Revelation 19, 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And His wife hath made herself ready. That means she already went through the judgment. She's already had her works tried. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. He saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. You know what God's going to do for his bride, for you? You're going to get there, your works are going to be tried. But it's, it's just like with Shimei this morning, the point that I made some people aren't going to confess until he's coming. I want, I want to confess before he comes back. I literally, honestly, I literally try to make sure that I have confession every day, multiple times a day. Not confession, Roman Catholic Church. They rob everything, don't they? They just steal all the good words from the Bible and twist them. Confession between me and God. A time of prayer, confession between me and God. Not confess, bless his father for I have sinned. Like, Lord, I'm sorry for this, 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 and this, and I know I'm wrong. And by the way, God, would you show me anything else? 
Do you ever ask him that? And wait for a minute, see what starts popping into your head? Lord, what else should I get right? Where am I off? Why? Because I don't want to wait till he gets here to, to fall on my face. But even if you do, you know what he's going to do? Yet he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. You're not going to hell. And then what God does, how good he is, is when he brings his bride into that marriage, he clothes her. See it? And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. He says, all right, and I'll dress her up and bring her in here. Now, yeah, that judgment's already set, you understand? Where you're going to be at in the millennial kingdom is already determined by the judgment seat of Christ. I sure would rather show up as ready as I can be. I want to show up with gold, silver, and precious stone. I want to show up fully clothed. I want him to be happy to see me. I want to be getting ready for him. But I know this much that no matter how ready I get and how hard I try, it's going to take a miracle from him to make it worth what it ought to be worth. My best efforts for God fall dramatically short. And I hate it. Revelation chapter 3. We're almost done. Verse 4. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. For they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So in, in that time period, in the tribulation period, their personal righteousness gives them the garments. And let me, let me just give you some of these few names that I think the Lord's talking about, just from church history. Because you won't get this from the Roman Catholic Church, but let me show you why. I think one of those names is John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe, they called the morning star of the, of the Reformation. He translated a Bible into the common man's language because he was sick and tired of the Roman Catholic Church chaining it to the pulpits, literally chaining the Bibles to the pulpits so that nobody could take it away from the pulpit. They couldn't, the, the, the laity couldn't get to it. The average common man couldn't get to it. And they had it in Latin only because it wasn't the common man's language. John Wycliffe said, you know what, I'm translating the Bible into the common man's language because I want every plowboy to have in his hand a copy of the Word of God so he can know exactly what God said to him. They hated John Wycliffe. Oh, and by the way, when he translated Bibles and passed them out, he translated them from the exact same line of manuscripts as a King James Bible. Your NIV, your New ASV, your Amplified, all the rest of them, they're going to line up with the other Bibles that go in, right in line with the Roman Catholic Church. But what John Wycliffe was translating and passing out and spreading all over the planet, was, was all over Europe, was um, the, in the family of the King James Bible. I think another name that the Lord might have been talking about here is John Huss. John Huss is a great one. How about Martin Luther? This is his time period, Sardis. He, he's, he's part of what God is doing to start the, start, start the uh, Great Awakening, the Reformation. Getting out of, the, out of the, he nailing his 95 Thesis to the wall. They told Martin Luther, he said, Martin, don't you know the whole world's against you? He said that I'm against the whole world. You know what his, the, the theme of his ministry was? Sola Scriptura. Scripture only. There's another name, Savannarola. Savannarola was offered a red hat if he'd recant, meaning a cardinal. They'd make, the Roman Catholic Church said, we'll make you a cardinal. His response was, I'd take a red hat of blood. <laughs> so, so when they lit the fires to burn him up, I believe it was Savannarola that said, that which I've preached with my tongue, I now seal with my blood. Yeah, you think God didn't notice that? You think God didn't say, well, while you or his wife and kids or other church members would stand there and say, how could God let this happen? God's saying, look at that boy. That's bringing glory to my name. That's a great thing, and I know what I'm going to do with his life, with his ministry, with his preaching over the next few hundred years. He counted it an honor to die for the Lord. Can you imagine that? Uh, there's some names I know. I don't know. I don't know any of those popes. I don't know any of those bishops, those cardinals. I don't know any of those bloodthirsty Catholics that are trying to obliterate people that are just trying to get the Bible into everybody's language. 
But I know some of those spitfire preachers, I mean talking about real men, will give you a cardinal's hat, I'll take a hat of blood. <laughs> wow. What a blessing. I'll tell you some other names that God knew. I'm pretty sure God knew about the uh, Anabaptists during this time period. I'm pretty sure God knew the Waldensians, the Albigenses, the Lollards, the, Paul- the Paulicians. You know what they were? They were average, normal, Bible-believing people using the same line of manuscripts that you use that the Catholic Church was trying to take away from them and burn up because they hated that book. The same book here, the, for, the, the forefather of this book that you're holding tonight when you're a King James Bible believer. They hated that book. And those people were copying them down, copying them down, copying them down, passing them out. And the Bible, the Word of God was spreading, and it was Texas Receptus Manuscripts. You understand what I'm saying? was spreading and multiplying into Hungary, Bohemia, Bulgaria, Germany. It was just going all over during this time period. Verse 5, he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. How do these people get clothed in white raiment? They got to do what? Overcome, right? See it right there? What did I just show you in Revelation 19 about you? He grants you to be clothed in white raiment. He puts it on you after the, after the marriage, you know, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Why? Because you already overcame. Look them up if you haven't yet. I'm not going to turn to them because I'm going to get you out of here. But 1 John 4, 4, 1 John 5, 4. If you believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have already overcome. This is not you doctrinally. These people have to overcome in the tribulation period. And if they overcome, they're going to be clothed in white raiment. And look at this next thing. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Well, you're sealed under the day of redemption. Your name can't get blotted out of the book of life. In the tribulation period, they can. You see how you have to rightly divide your Bible or correct it? Those are your only options. Well, that's not what it means. I know King James Bible believers that claim to be King James Bible believers that don't rightly divide, and what they'll say is, well, that's not what it means. Okay, you just twisted it. Because it says what it means. So if, if you believe in eternal security then you can't believe this is speaking to you. It's not. It's to them in the tribulation period. But I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You know, I like how he ends it. I, like, I, love, the Lord's, I love the Lord's conclusions. They're so simple. You know what he says? If you want to hear, hear. If not, see you later. What's it to him? He's God. It's a benefit to those churches if they'll listen. But if they don't want to, Jesus Christ is the world's most perfect gentleman. He won't force himself on them. And he won't, he won't to you and I either. You want to hear? Then hear. And if you don't want to hear, then go about your life. Go ahead and wreck everything. Go ahead and ruin everything. Go ahead and be miserable. And uh, the Lord will be waiting. Just pray he don't come back first, Shimei. I'd rather hear now. Amen. All right, let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Father, we love you.